Killing Type, a novel by Wayne Jones. Chapter 20. Eve, Victor, drowned at his own kitchen sink. This is a first for the killer, not only in method, but in sheer callous audacity. The man was killed in the same building where Priscilla Ulrich lived, and on the next day. The citizens, those who are not scared witless, are livid now at the police for not doing anything. There's another demonstration in front of City Hall, lines of people, placards. The reporters can hardly conceal their glee at the sound bites they are able to get now. People crying, threats of lawsuits and what seem to be thin premises to me. I meet the raver on Bagot, and the punctuation of fucks completely obscures the sense of whatever sentence he is ranting at me. The police chief, strong up until now, determination written in the furrows across his brow, seems cowed among the gaggle of microphones, weakened. We are as shocked as any of you, he says, his voice wavering ever so slightly on you, and we are determined to find this killer so that the voice breaking, creaking, cracking with some obviousness on killer, and there is nothing after the so that but a waving of his hands in front of his face as if he is trying to flag down some taxi that is invisible to the rest of us or hopelessly throwing them in the air as some other invisible vehicle bears down on him. Chief, chief, the reporters call, but he rushes away. I cannot be absolutely certain and I will have to corroborate this detail before I could include it in my book, but it looked like the man was crying. I've read about it in my now voluminous research, and there is a rather common thing that happens at about this stage in a string of unsolved serial killings that is, ironically, about the same time that the anger is at its highest pitch. The town begins to buckle, to lose its hope and even its will to ever find the killer. Like that gazelle you may have seen on the nature programs in the deathly clutches of a cheetah, at some point they just give up, both gazelle and town. The cheetah's intentions are obvious, and at first there is a self-righteous struggle by the gazelle, even a sense of confidence that this assailant can be shaken off and life can return to normal, can return at all. A whole town can seem eerily subdued when the temptation to quit rests away independence and the will to fight and live. There is a high degree of rationalization and self-deception which accompany this capitulation. The theists, God bless them, run around town, metaphorically of course, refer chiefly to their appearances in the media, spouting something about the citizens deserving this as punishment for a lack of moral rectitude or some other sort of blather. They stick by their guns, as they unfortunately phrase it, and then go on to characterize the criticism they receive as the expected result of their being the only people brave enough to tell the truth, and on and on it goes, of course. Quite annoying, not to mention outrageously bereft of logic, common sense, and even a hint of sympathy. And there are the crazy people, mostly young men who had teetered on the brink of insanity during those halcyon, murder-free days in Nosting anyway, ex-convicts, child molesters, men who had not adjusted well to the breakup with their girlfriends, men who still live with their mothers. 
One example, a fellow at one of the downtown Tim Hortons is knocked to the floor as he is halfway through his order, a boot pressed against his throat, and the other patrons either flee or watch desultorily as he is dragged from there to an awkward position strewn across one of the tables near the door. In fact, I am about two meters from the action and witness in horror the inane interrogation as in one of those countries where the verdict is decided as soon as you are arrested and the judicial process, including, as the vanilla terminology has it, questioning, is meant only to elicit a confession which the poor man resorts to only to ease the physical pain. Here amid the smells of donuts and coffee and the sweetest of sugars that are bad for you, the questions are just shouts and no time is allowed for answers anyway. It is all rather embarrassing, I find, and the only thing that prevents me from intervening is that the same stupidity will be unleashed on me, the poor researcher who in their eyes must be a sympathizer, an assistant, a killer too. A police car shows up outside, the red light spinning, and the accusers decide in a lucid moment that they don't have much of a case after all, and they dash out the door quickly and then down a dark road behind the hotel before the officers are even out of their cruiser. I have to say that I am nearly as unimpressed with them as I am with the thugs, the later for their small-minded machismo, but the former for their lethargic attitude toward crime, even in what should be a supercharged time when, after all, people have been killed. One of them simply turns around casually to watch the vigilantes make the final turn around the corner and off into the night, and then Mirabili Dictu wakes up, walks up to the counter and orders a double-double and a cruller. His friend officer, his fellow officer, no less competent, sits and waits at the table where only minutes before a form of illegal justice and assault was being perpetrated on a man who I presume is innocent. The man demonstrates far too little outrage for my taste, and I fear that it is an attitude which pervades the Nosting police force and perhaps explains the lack of success in apprehending the killer. Shouldn't all officers be hungry and angry now? Shouldn't they be chasing down anyone, be it killer or doe-headed vigilante, eschewing the hat and, as the raver put it once, going after the guy, heading towards that hotel, rounding the corner, jumping him when his attention flags and he's out of breath. Instead, he's ever so calm, sitting and waiting and waiting, sighing for God's sake when the delay for Adona is a few excruciating seconds longer than he requires, peevish instead of enraged. What the fuck? I hear a woman next to me, not quite sotto voce, but not loud enough that the officers could hear it either. The question is not directed at me nor anyone else in particular, I don't think, but it seems to be rather an unconscious and incredulous verbal reaction to the situation, to seeing the reverse of heroism. I look over at her as a gesture of support, and she just purses her lips and shakes her head at me, and I feel sorry for the poor woman that the lack of police action has bereft her of articulate means of protest. 
I rotate in my seat a little for a better view as the officers finally pair up at a table. There is a symmetry of steaming paper cups and lumps of dough in front of them, and they begin to eat and drink in what appears almost as choreographed alternation. Sip, sip, eat, eat, sip, sip. Like an old couple whose connection has degraded to mere mimicry. The conversation between consumptions is muted. I think I hear the words belly and sus, but I can't be sure. I tire of the whole business and get up to leave, but when I scan the place one more time, I see the woman signaling to me to come to her table. I check behind me to confirm that her attention is not meant for anyone else. It's not. And so I semi-reluctantly walk over and sit right back down again at her table. A slight headache is depriving me, I think, of the ability to make better decisions. Can you believe this shit, she asks. I mean, fuck. She lowers her voice. Are they going to do anything? I know what you mean. I start before she interrupts. I was in here like two weeks ago. Same fucking thing. No cops that time, but two assholes. Different from these two just now, but these two guys razzing this other guy for all I know, didn't do anything, at least probably didn't kill anyone, for God's sake. She pauses as if to catch her breath. Well, I say a little hesitantly, I know that some people are getting fed up with the whole thing. Murder's happening, the police not able even to identify any suspects. The Yes, but that doesn't give these assholes the right to be harassing people. I agree with you, but it may explain where all this vigilante behavior is coming from. She just shakes her head. For what reason, I'm not quite sure. What's your theory, I ask. Theory? About who the killer is. Oh, you know, I'm not sure. I mean, I do believe that it's someone right here in Nosting. I don't think the whole guy that's from Toronto or New York State or anything like that. Who knows? It's sort of like a situation where every option seems, you know, seems implausible, I suggest. She looks at me. Well, if that means nothing seems like the right theory, then I agree with you. She laughs, and I do too, and I realize that I haven't done so in weeks. We chat for a while, the conversation eventually easing from criticism of the police to her unemployment situation, the child she wishes she could see more. I stand up abruptly and say that I have to go, even though, strictly speaking, I do not. Oh, she says, but remains seated, and I tip a non-existent hat on my head and leave precipitously. The walk home is troubled. Nothing happens, but at every sound, every shadow, I fear that the men will come barreling around the corner, or, worse, the police will choose to do their job not on small-minded thugs, but on a weak, innocent scholar who happens to be out later than he should be. The wind is gusting a little, and I struggle with my key at the door. It will not fit. It is upside down. Spooked, I check behind me before entering, confirm the absence of murderers or other monsters, and enter into warmth and security. Alas, the feeling doesn't last long. My heart is wrenched as I check my email and find this. Well, things are churning right along, aren't they, old boy? Oh, please, I hear you say. Let there indeed be only the two remaining victims that have been promised. 
crude, don't you think? Checking them off like that. One, two, three, A, B, C, eight, nine, ta-da, ten. I have to admit that in spite of my intensive research, hours spent poring over deathly monographs, exposing myself to the worst that humanity is capable of, I still have considerable difficulty stomaching this degree of absolute lack of conscience or understanding it as much as one can hope to understand anything so antithetical to life itself. I consider a reply, clack one out in anger and almost send it, but fortunately I reconsider. I like the idea of replying, but haven't a clue how that idea could be realized. What, dear reader, could I possibly say? <laughs>